is just, just very strange and kind of um, grotesque, and it's, it's awkward, and it, it really pushes uh, our culture on what we feel about reality TV and, and violence. And so, um, you know, for some of us, we think about maybe we even watch a movie like this, and it seems so surreal. It seems like, you know, I'm glad this is just a movie because this could never really happen in real life. Um, if you've ever felt that way, uh, you, you haven't read history or you've forgotten history. In fact, um, the, the world, this is not new to the world, this type of violence, this type of lording over people and, and controlling them and then using them to make entertainment for them uh, is nothing new at all. In fact, at uh, the very beginning of um, uh, the, the, the very first century, um, the Romans were people who were very brutally violent people. Um, they uh, controlled millions of people because they controlled food lines, they controlled trade, and they used their power and military force to control other nations, uh, other people groups, other races, other religions. And um, that's where we find uh, the Bible, and much of the Bible, especially the New Testament, is set in that type of uh, setting, a place where the Roman government lords over the Jewish people. Um, you, you've seen the Colosseum, one of the great seven wonders of the world, and you've seen probably the movie, maybe if you've seen the movie Gladiator or, some, or something like that. Um, those were things that really did happen. And during the, the time when Jesus lived, the, the king that ruled then, then, his name was King Herod uh, Agrippa, right after he left. His name was um, King Herod Agrippa, and he was um, an extremely, extremely violent um, persecutor of Christians, killed thousands and thousands of Christians, um, and he, would, he was known to throw them to lions in the Colosseum. He was known to tear them apart in the um, public squares. He was known to use them as sport. Um, they would run around while the soldiers would um, shoot arrows at them and, and make fun of them. And, and so th- this is not, you know, when we think about something like the Hunger Games, we think, man, that sounds terrible, and I hope that would never happen. But it already has happened, and that's the setting that we find ourselves in today. And as I was thinking about the Hunger Games, it, it, it just brought to my mind this passage that we find in Acts 12, the season and the story, the life of um, one of the disciples named Peter. And so if you have a Bible today, if you want to jump to Acts chapter 12, we're going to shoot through the whole chapter. Um, I want you to jump in there because this passage is so, so cool. It's, it's actually a, it's a very unique story because there's comedy and tragedy all in the same story. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. And if, and if you've ever heard it, uh, you'll recognize it immediately. But I want to set the stage for you. It was uh, Acts 12, the first couple of verses say, say this. It was about this time that King Herod uh, arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the, fe- during the festival of unleavened bread. Now, like I said, this is Herod Agrippa. Um, there was one, this is not King Herod. What you may have think of as Herod is Herod the Great. That was actually his grandfather. And he was a very evil man as well. But then his, his son was uh, Herod uh, Antipas and Herod Antipas is famous for being at the trial of Jesus and being one of the ones that sent Jesus to the cross. Um, this is his nephew. Uh, this is Herod Agrippa. And again, he was he called himself king of the Jews. He was a man who believed himself um, as uh, as a God. He spoke as a God and he he wanted people to revere him as such. And so as a Christian, 
um, one of the things that you would say is you would say, um, Jesus is my Lord. And you would say, Jesus is my God. And, you know, in fact, they gave Jesus the title over his cross, King of the Jews. Well, you have to remember in that day and age, this was not just um, just a nice saying of, oh, Jesus is my God. It's not just religious. This is a very political statement as well, because you're saying no longer is, is Herod my God. No longer is Herod my king, but Jesus is my king. And I, I, I pledge my life to Jesus over Herod. And so for Herod, this is a great this is a great offense because he believes himself to be a God. He believes himself to be um, the only ruler of of your life and he wants to control you. And so to do that, he um, would would make sport of Christians and he would uh, obviously bring them into the court and, and kill them and make fun of them. And he had done that to one of the leaders of the church, uh, one of the disciples, James, who, who you know well, uh, if, if you know your Bible, he had him violently killed by the sword and he made a public spectacle of him. And then, of course, because others approved of it, the, when it says the Jews approved, it was the um, the very deep Orthodox Jews who were against Jesus being the Christ and the Savior. Uh, they, they, they were, of course, the ones who crucified Jesus and led him to the cross. And so um, because it pleased them, he said, hey, this, you know, this is a win-win for me. And so I, I, I'm kind of gaining more support from, from the Jews. And I'm also getting to gain fear from, from these other people. They will fear me more and respect me more. And so, of course, he, he publicly um, would kill Christians. Very, very violent, um, very grotesque, and very real. Now, of course, we, we don't live in a society like that. Um, but in reality, that kind of stuff still happens today. Uh, you might not know it, but there are um, Christians that are killed regularly. They're executed in places like North Korea, uh, even in Nigeria and in Egypt. Uh, there's said to be over 70,000 Christians in work, forced labor work camps right now in North Korea. Um, so it, it is happening around the world, uh, maybe not quite so much in the media or maybe not quite so publicly as the Romans did it. Um, but but it, it does still happen. And so today I want to share with you this story of, of Peter and what happens um, because Peter is, is captured uh, and you're going to see him be, be arrested. In verse 4, let me read this to you real quick. Uh, it says, after arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So there's 16 guards. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So what had happened is by the time that Herod was able to grab Peter, um, it was time for the Passover. Now, as so not to offend the Jews because they didn't want to offend them. Um, he wanted to have their support. He decided not to kill Peter publicly. He would have... If it had not been the Passover, he would have had him killed publicly uh, very quickly and easily. But he said, I'm going to hold off because the festival of, of Passover has begun and I don't want to offend the religious holiday. So I'll put him in prison. When the feast is over, when the Passover is, is, is gone and done, I'll bring him out. I'll make a public spectacle of him and we'll bring all the people out and then we'll rip him apart or do something violent to him to, just to make sport of it. And so this is the plan of, of King Herod. So Peter, imagine Peter. Now, at this time, if you don't know who Peter is, Peter is the leader of the church. Um, When it came to the movement of Jesus in the new church, there was no other name at this point in the scriptures other than Peter. Now, we get to know Paul, who becomes 
uh, a part of the scene and begins to write much of the New Testament later on. Um, but it, in this part of the scripture, Peter has been handed the torch personally by Jesus as the leader of the movement of, of the church. Peter was the, the, really the, the kind of the head guy. So uh, if you're a Christian during this time, you can imagine the feeling of hopelessness that you would have. You've just witnessed one of the other leaders of the church. His name is James, uh, a disciple, be, be killed by the sword publicly by, by the Roman soldiers, by King Herod. And so now they have Peter, and you're sure that the same thing is going to happen to him. He's chained up. He's guarded. It's not like they could even gather people together and go and fight because the military force was uh, way too much for them. And they had way too much power and um, control over them to be able to, to have any sort of rebellion or fight against this. So really, they're in a hopeless situation, a very hopeless situation. And so I, I know that some of you probably will never, ever be in this type of situation in your life. Maybe. I bet you've probably been in a situation where you felt hopeless before. I bet you maybe have been in a situation where you felt Im- imprisoned or, or shackled up before. Maybe it was an addiction or maybe it was a- in a marriage that you felt hopeless for. Or maybe you're in a financial situation that you felt like, you know, I'm, I'm hopeless and I, I don't have anywhere to go. There's, there's, there's no hope. I've, I feel like I'm at the end. Um, it was very, very hopeless for Peter, outside of a, a, a major move of God, Peter was going to be killed. So let's see what happens, and then we're going to give some application to this. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So the church began to gather together and pray for him. Verse 6, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. So this is basically the last night of his life. I mean, this is this is it. This is the the morning before he goes to his death. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up quick. Get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. In verse 8, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Uh, He was miraculously saved. An angel had woken him up in the middle of the night, literally led him past guards, shackles miraculously just dropped from his arms, gates swung open, prison door locks just opened up on their own, and they walked right past all these guards who were in charge of watching him. Uh, And a complete miracle, only something that God could do, not something that man could ever orchestrate. And here's where the story gets kind of fun. That's kind of, it, it's, we're, it's kind of tragic, it's sad, and then we're happy for the miracle. And here's where the comedy comes in. 
verse 12. When this had dawned on him, uh, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. So imagine him going to the door. He's knocking. Knock, 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 knock. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Who is it? When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So imagine we're we're in a prayer meeting. Okay, they're at Mary's house and they hear a knock on the door. Rhoda, the servant, goes to hear it. And she's she's like, who is it? It's Peter. Ah! So she freaks out and go runs and tells him. He's still standing outside. So she goes and says, she goes, Peter is at the door. Listen to how they respond. Remember, they're praying for Peter. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. They say, you're crazy. It's like, could you please stop interrupting us? We're trying to pray for Peter's rescue. You know, stop saying things like he's at the door. You're crazy. You know, so let us get back to praying. Do we need to pray for you too? Come here, we'll lay hands on you. You're nuts. But the Bible says, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, here's what they say. It must be his angel. It's like, you know, Lord, it must be his angel. It must be a ghost out there or something. They're basically saying it must be like a ghost. Peter, even though we're praying for him to be saved, he must be dead, right? And this maybe is his ghost coming back to haunt us or something. Um, But there's no way in the world that this could really be him. And dear Lord, would you please somehow let Peter go? And this, I mean, this is comedy. This is funny, you know, and, and these people are praying for Peter. He's standing at the door and they're re- refusing to believe that he's there. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Oh, they couldn't believe it. They're like, we were praying over here. We thought it was just a ghost, but you're really here. They couldn't believe it. They were astonished. Um, verse 17, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then after he left, and then, and then after he left for another place. So he gave them a few instructions and just celebrated with them. And then he left um, to go tell some other people who, were, who may have been praying for him too. Very, very, very funny. Verse 18, here's kind of um, what happens on the other scene. In the morning, there, were, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So he was not a very happy man, so he killed all the guards. And so instead of Peter being killed, all the guards uh, were killed. So here's this, you know, this kind of crazy situation where Peter was extremely hopeless. Um, the church began to pray for him, but yet they were so surprised that, that God had, had answered their prayers. And so this, this morning, I, I just want to talk about um, what the church did and give some application to this because I really felt like God placed this, this story and this scripture in, on my heart for our church this week, especially because I, I don't know why, but so much has been going on in our church lately. Maybe you don't know of uh, a lot of the things just because, you know, we don't send out mass emails telling everybody, everybody's personal things that are going on. But there's been a lot of sick people this week. Um, actually, the manager of um, the theater here had a heart attack this week. 
and he's out. He was, they put a stent in his heart, and he's doing much better. I went to visit him this, this last week. And, um, but we had another lady in our church named Elizabeth who had major, major surgery this week and who uh, just got out of the hospital, I think it was yesterday, and who's back at home who needs a lot of help and a lot of care. We've had uh, multiple people be sick. We've had uh, a death uh, in the church this week. And so there's just been a, a lot of just, just stuff that's been going on. And I know that, you know, again, we might not be in a life or death situation like Peter was. Um, but I know that for many of us, oftentimes when, when we have health issues and we have marriage issues and we have job issues and we have, um, you know, kid issues, these things can feel like um, we're in prison, we're in chains, and, we don't, and tomorrow's going to be, it's going to feel like our, life, our life's last day. Um, I know that I can relate to feeling that way. I have a, a disease called Meniere's disease. If you haven't heard about it, it's where I get this really bad rash. Um, I'm just teasing. It's not a rash, uh, but it, you just, it sounds kind of funky. What's Meniere's disease? Um, Meniere's disease is something that affects my inner ear. It's affected my, my right ear, and it's deep inside of my uh, cochlea, and it messes with my vestibular function. If you don't know what that means, my, my balance uh, gets way off. I get massive vertigo, and so I, I, I just get dizzy constantly, and I can't stand up. I get really sick. I get nauseous. I throw up everywhere. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a blast to be around. And so this disease basically affects my inner ear, and eventually, it, it, I'm already gone deaf, mostly in my ear. Eventually, it'll destroy my ear, and that's just kind of what the disease does. Um, but this week has been, I've, and I've been, God has really given me a lot of grace, and almost for a year, I've had no problems at all with the disease. But this last week, I've had a lot of problems. I've been sick almost all week, been laying in bed, just wanting to sleep all the time, and, and not been happy. And so really until yesterday did I not start feeling better. So I know the feeling of just, man, I'm, I just am sick of being sick. I know the, the, the feeling of what it's like to have health issues where you go, God, would you just please take this away? Um, you know, when we, when we get in these situations where we feel like we're helpless and hopeless, um, there's, we have to ask the question, what can we do? Uh, or maybe a better, better question is, what else can we do but pray? You see, we, we're, we're not people who have control over our lives like we think that we do or want to do. Um, but in reality, we have a God who is sovereign. And so like the church, they came together. It says that they earnestly prayed. And I want to talk to you specifically about, about that for a second because praying earnestly is sometimes something that I don't believe we as Christians um, do like we should. And what earnestly means, if you would look that up, is, is to pray seriously and purposefully is to pray on purpose and to pray with, with a seriousness about your prayers. Um, I have personally fallen into the trap sometimes where I've just had pointless prayers. Have you ever been somewhere and you, you've prayed or you've heard somebody pray or maybe you've even prayed and you thought, well, that was really pointless. Or maybe you sat around a dinner table and the prayer said something like this. It was like, dear God, um, you know, be with us, um, help us, protect us. Um, and give us world peace. Amen. You know, and you, you just kind of got to the end of that, and it sounded like the person wasn't talking to God. They were talking to um, the floor, or they were talking to the table, or their meatloaf that was there. They were getting ready to eat, you know. But, you know, you just it just felt really pointless. It wasn't serious or, serious or very purposeful. I, I would encourage you that when you pray, pray, pray with a purpose.
begin to pray and begin to ask specific things. Because if you don't ask specifically, then how will you know it's ever answered? You know, I mean, literally, if you just say, God, be with us, God is with us all the time anyway. So how would you even know if God answered that prayer, right? If you, got, if, if you say, God, help us, how would you know that God even answered that prayer? Because you have no idea what he even helped you with. He might have helped you and you didn't even know it. He just maybe saved you from a bad deal, maybe saved you from a car accident, and you had, you had no idea. So how do you even know he helped you with that? Well, if you didn't pray specifically, you would have no idea that he even answered that prayer. So I would encourage you to pray very specifically. Uh, Colossians 4, I was reading this this week, and it just really convicted me. And it said, devote, Colossians 4, verse 2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. That prayer is so important that we need to devote ourselves and take time out of our day, take time out of our schedule, and be purposeful about prayer. Um, I, I have fallen into the trap sometimes where I felt like, I guess I need to pray because I'm a Christian. That's what Christians do. They pray, so dear God, thanks, it's a great day, love you, see you later. You know, I'm hanging up now. You know, and that's, that was your prayer. It was kind of like you just, you know, called somebody. Um, but, but don't do that. When, when you speak to God, you're speaking to the God of the universe who has control over all things. He, he, is, he is sovereign Lord. He, he created you. He made you. He brought you into the world. He could take you back out. All right. So um, this, this is God that we're speaking to. And so, let's, um, so when we speak to him, let's, let's be devoted. Let's be serious. Let's be purposeful. And let's make it a regular part of our lives. Um, when someone has an issue, let's, let's pray for them. If someone's sick, let's pray for healing. Let's pray specifically for them. Um, my wife, she's an incredible woman. If you haven't met my wife, you need to get to know her. Um, but she uh, is one of these people who will, will, will pray for people and, and will pray for radical things for you. And she's, she's not afraid to do it. I, I remember we were um, this, this last Memorial Day, we were at a neighborhood party with a bunch of people. We didn't know them very well. They didn't know who we are. We, we tried to make sure that they didn't know I was a pastor. I, I try to lay low sometimes so that they don't treat me differently because they've got a keg tapped and they're drinking and having fun. And so um, if they knew I was a pastor, they'd be like, oh, sorry about all this. You know, I don't mean to mess things up, you know. And I'm like, you know, so I, I want to be try to kind of at least in the beginning, be somewhat of a normal person so they would actually get to know me first um, before I put on pastor face. And so, um, so, but my wife is, is there. And we're hanging out with some neighbors. And this, this woman had a, had a breakdown. Something terrible happened. And, uh, and she just stopped. And she just said, hey, you know what? Um, I'm sorry this is going on in your life. How would you, she said, this may sound a little weird, but how would you feel if I, I pray for you? And this girl's not, not a believer in God. Um, very difficult time in her life. She said, you know what? I, I can't do anything else, but I recognize that I have no control over this situation. I guess this is the best thing that I can do. And she's like, I would love for you to pray for me. She's like, no one's ever really prayed for me before. And so my wife, in the middle of this Memorial Day party, she brings this girl aside over into her house and just begins to pray over her and pray for her in this situation. 
And this, this, here's a girl who doesn't believe in God in the middle of a keg party, comes out and is telling all her friends about my wife. She's like, this girl prayed for me, and I feel better. She's like, I don't know what it is, but this girl's praying for me. It's all, and she's like, that's all she can talk about. Maybe it's because she had too many. I don't know. But, but, um, but she's, like, she's like, this is awesome. She, this girl's praying for me. And it was amazing that here's a girl who, who, you know, her belief in God is very, very young. And maybe she kind of is hoping that there's a God out there. But, but my wife praying for her just encouraged her in such a radical way that she was, it, it changed her perspective. And so when the Bible says, talks about us praying for each other, uh, let's take it seriously. And let's begin to devote ourselves to prayer. Take time out of our schedules. Drop things in our schedule to pray. Not just try to force it. I guess I guess I'm supposed to pray. So I I guess I'll force a quick pointless, purposeless prayer real quick. Uh, It'd be better not to pray and wait until you you say, okay, I'm going to pray with purpose uh, and then do it. The other thing that I saw that the church did, I think is very significant that I want us to do and and is a very important point is that the, the church prayed together. In other words, they prayed with people. Um, so many times I, I talk, and as a pastor, I talk with people about praying. I hear this, all, I cannot tell you how many people say this. I just pray by myself. I don't pray out loud. I don't mind if you pray, that's fine. I'll sit here, but I'm not going to pray out loud. I'm not going to pray with people. That's what I do, like, on my own time. I'll do that in my closet. I'll pray when I'm driving or something like that, but I'm not going to pray out loud with other people. And that's about half or 75% of you out there, shame on you, okay? Listen, I'm just going to tell you, um, you're missing out on the experience with God if you're not willing to just step out and begin to pray with other people. There's this verse that I used to hear all the time growing up as a kid. I grew up in a first Baptist church, and um, it's always dangerous when you grow up hearing a verse because you're hearing verses because sometimes you're never really sure if they're really real. Um, like, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, you know, so that's not a real verse. Um, but I, I would always hear this verse from people. They would say, where two or more are gathered, God is there. You ever heard that? And you just hear people say that all the time. You probably never read it in the Bible, but you've heard where two or more are gathered, there's God. And so, um, so I heard that growing up all the time. So I had to make sure to look it up, make sure it was a real verse. Um, but it's really in there. And, and in fact, Matthew uh, 18, verse 20 says this, where two or more, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus really does say that. And here's the context that he's saying that in. He's talking about prayer he's talking about the church praying for things that they need. He's talking about prayer requests. He's talking about if, if you need something, if you need um, prayer for healing, if you need prayer for a job, if you need healing for, or, for, for over your finances, over your marriage, he's saying, listen, more than one of you should pray and you should do it together. In other words, prayer is a team sport. It is something that we do not alone, just in our closet, which we should do as well. But we should also do together, together with other people. Um, when something is going on in your life, invite someone over to pray. When someone's going through a difficult time, say, hey, can I just come over and pray with you? And can I bring a friend and we just pray with you and let both of us pray? You'd be amazed at the experience you'll have with God and with that family when you do that. Because the Bible says, hey, listen, it says it. Where two or three are gathered in his name, He's there. 
And there's something supernatural begins to happen when you begin to pray in that experience. As you will, and I, listen, this is where it gets kind of hokey pokey. I, I don't understand it. I don't fully know why. But you will oftentimes feel the presence of God. When you begin to pray in a group, you will feel the presence of God like you never have before. Sometimes when you're just doing that alone. I, listen, I don't understand why. It just it is what it is. When you begin to pray and seek, seek the face of the Lord, seek him with other people, you will experience his presence. Listen, even my two year old prays. My two year old, um, her name is Sadie May. She loves to pray. And here's what she says. She goes, she walks around like this. She keeps her eyes open. She goes, Jesus, Jesus, finger, amen. And she says finger because one time she asked us to pray for her finger because she hurt her finger. So we said, Jesus, we pray that you heal her finger. Amen. And so now every time she prays, she has to say finger. So, um, it's kind of funny, but whatever. So if my two-year-olds can pray out loud, you can too, okay? I would encourage you uh, to, to get over your fear of speaking out loud to people and invite um, the Spirit of God into your life. Experience Him. If you're not, you're missing out. You're missing out big time. Pray out loud as a family. Um, I make my kids pray. And you go, you make your kids pray? Yeah, I teach them how to pray. We make them pray. Sometimes they go, I don't feel like praying. Listen, sometimes I don't either, buddy, but it's time to pray. And we're going to talk to God because this is what we do. We don't always have to feel like it to pray, but we need to. And so they did. They, the church gathered together and, and, they, and they prayed. Here's just kind of a, another thing about this. Peter was the leader of the church. Uh, and James, they were leaders of this, of this church and this movement. They didn't have an official building and things like that, but he definitely was the was the main spiritual go to guy. But you know what? He didn't he didn't have to organize the prayer meeting. He didn't have to calendar it and email everybody out and say, Hey, next Wednesday there's gonna be a prayer meeting and that's when you're all supposed to pray. The pastor did not have to do that. Guess what they did? They prayed on their own. So here's my encouragement to you. You don't have to have my permission ever to pray. Did you know that (laughs) you should never you don't have to ask my permission. If you know of someone in the church and they have issues, you don't have to come call me. You go invite people in the church. You grab them together and you go pray for that person. That's why we do community groups here, because we we really believe in the in the idea that we as a church body need to be people together, praying for each other and living the gospel out outside of a Sunday morning environment. And this is why it's so important if you're not a part of a community group, we want you to be a part so that you have people who would be willing to come and pray over you. And if you don't have that, then call me and I'll send some people over to your house who will go and pray for you. Um, so, so there are definitely people who will do that. But if you're not a part of a, of a group, I, I want you to do that. The next thing that, that Colossians um, 4 uh, verse says, it says this, and it's so funny, of course, in, the, in this passage in Peter, um, where they just, it's such a surprise to them that he's there. But listen to what it says in Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Then it says, being watchful. In other words, you need to be alert and aware that if you're praying something, you also need to be watchful that God may answer that prayer. Pray expectantly that God is going to do something. This church was not praying very expectantly, were they? You know, they, they were not looking for God to answer their prayers. I'm not really sure why. Um, Maybe it's because they had probably prayed for James. You know, when you read back at the first part of that passage, uh, it says 
that James had been killed publicly, and they had witnessed that. And now Peter was taken, and so they had probably thought, hey, we're going to pray together, but his chances are what? They're slim to none. God already allowed James to be killed, so why would he answer our prayers and not allow Peter to be killed? You know, so this becomes this difficult situation in which prayer will, will God answer because we, they probably prayed for James. They probably pleaded for James and said, Lord, please spare James's life. But what happened to James? He was killed. And so um, here Peter was, was rescued. And so maybe they just were not expecting God to do anything because they had heard no from God before. They figured he must would say no and not answer their prayers again. And the important part of this is, is that God is, God is always sovereign. He is always sovereign. And yes, we need to pray. We need to be watchful and seeing what God is doing. Um, but at the end of the day, prayer is never about us. The end of prayer always ends with God. Prayer is always about him. It starts with him and it ends with him. Prayer is never about us. And so ultimately, God will always answer prayers that are in line with his purpose and his will. Um, if, if you think back at maybe some of your prayers this last year, for a lot of us sometimes, the way we pray, at least the average American way, the average American prayers, if God answered all those prayers, the only person who would probably have benefited from your prayers might have been just you. You would be thinner, right? You would have a better job. You might be married or you might be unmarried or, you know, you, you might not have any kids anymore. Or you might have perfect kids and you'd be better looking and all this. You know, if God answered your prayers, you would probably be a lot, just a better you. Um, but oftentimes our prayers just kind of get centered around us. Well, let, let me just kind of bust your bubble. God is not so much interested in you as he is interested in himself. Um, there's sometimes we, we get confused as Christians that God exists for us. But that is not true. If you've ever been told that, that's a lie. God does not exist for us. We exist for God. God exists for himself and for himself only. And so he is, he is God and he's not going to exist for puny little humans, okay? Um, and so he is an eternal being. He is a mighty being, and he is all about his glory and his purposes. And here's the good thing. His purposes and his glory are what's best for us. Always what's best for us, because we are his people. And he created us, and he loves us. But we do not, he does not exist for us. We exist for him. And so God will answer our prayers based on his purpose and his will, always. But that means we still need to, to be praying for, for whatever um, we we might see that we have need. If we're helpless, if we're hopeless, if we're in a bad financial situation, God loves it when we bring requests to him. He loves it when we bring requests to him. When we come around together as a church and we pray for other people, he loves that. And if it's a part of his purpose and his will, and if he can bring glory, if it will bring glory to him, he'll answer those prayers. Listen, if your prayer for more money is going to make you just buy more stuff, and be more consumed with things, do you think he's going to answer that prayer? Probably not. If your prayer for more money is going to move you to generosity, and you're being generous now, but it's just only going to allow you to be more and more generous and further his kingdom and his work, could he answer that? Absolutely. Why wouldn't he? 
It's his purposes. I don't, I'm not saying that you go, okay, I'm going to be generous, God, so get, let me win the lottery. <laughs> so uh, we try to try those tricks. But again, it's all, it's all in his hands. It's all in his purposes. It's all in his plan. He is, he is the sovereign one. And so if you're, if you're a person here who's going through a difficult situation, I, I just want to encourage you as a church that I, we need to be the type of people who um, our first thing is not, hey, well, I, I hope you get better. Well, that's nice, um, but we're Christians. We pray. Um, well, I'll send you a card. Well, that's nice, but we're Christians. We pray. And so oftentimes we take serious things in life and we just kind of leave God out of it. We'll say this this situation is so serious, but we'll maybe just spend just a, a, a tiny moment praying. And we leave God just kind of at the very end of it. And we spend a lot of energy trying to figure things out ourselves. Well, let me just stop and, and just remind you, if something is serious in your life, then it's serious enough to pray seriously. For you to be serious about prayer. If something's serious in your life, then you need to be serious about prayer in your life. And as Christians, as people of part of the body of, of Christ, our call is to, vote, is to devote ourselves to this prayer and to begin to pray for each other. Um, that we might begin to see God work and move in radical ways. Maybe some of you feel like this. Maybe some of you feel like, I just don't ever see God do anything. I don't really know I'm, that God is real and working because I don't see his activity either in my life or in other people's lives. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you have seriously prayed and you have seriously watched and been alert and expecting God to do stuff and then be thankful and praise him when it does. Well, sometimes the reason why you don't see the activity of God is because we're never asking for the activity of God in our lives and we're not watching for the activity of God and we're not being serious about being devoted to him and to his purpose and to his, um, to his plan. So when we get confused and we just kind of feel like we kind of go about our own business and go, God must not be there because I have these issues and God hasn't cleared them all up for me. Maybe we need to stop and kind of have a self check for a moment and say, am I living in the purposes of God? Um, Am I praying for things that God wants to happen? You see, ultimately, here's what God's purpose is. Let me read to you the the final part of this passage. And it it ends very interestingly. And and I, I really like how it ends. It ends in a good way. Um, listen, it says this, uh, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there, King Herod Agrippa. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now they joined together and sought an audience with him. And after securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Again, he was kind of ruling over these other people, and there were other just national political issues that were going on. And verse 21 says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of a God, not a man. In other words, he again asserted himself as Lord over people's lives. I'm God. I do what I want to do. I'm kind of master over your lives. I puppeteer your lives. I control your life. And the people even shouting to him, praising him as God. And look, look what happens. Verse 23. 
Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. Amen. That's awesome. Absolutely. You can laugh about that. That's awesome. Because God is, is he's just. He's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm the only one who's God. And he reminded King Herod, you know, I, I put you in this world. I'll pull you back out. And if you do not give me the praise, then, then I, will, I will take it. And here's the next verse that is so important. Verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's what God's about. That's his purpose. His purpose is about his word, his glory, the message of the gospel, the truth of Jesus being salvation to the world, that it would go out to all the world. And so God allowed persecution, Christians to be tortured, Christians to be killed, because you know what happened? It pushed the church out of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, into Greece, to Rome, into um, Europe, and into Africa and Egypt and and out into uh, the Arab, uh, the Arabian countries, out into Turkey and farther places. And so it pushed the Christians out farther as they escaped, leaving, trying to protect their families from the persecution. And now as they left, they shared the gospel of Jesus. And now the message of Jesus is being spread. So God is always about his purposes and his plans. And so just a reminder to, to us that when we pray, um, we need to pray for his purposes and his will, not just for our own desires. And that ultimately his word would continue to spread and flourish. Uh, so my challenge to you is, is this this morning. It's really simple. I, I just want to ask you as a church to, to be the church that God calls the church to be. That we would be devoted in prayer. And when you hear somebody who is having a hard day, when you hear somebody who maybe isn't even a Christian, you come together and you pray for them. And maybe you invite others to, and you invite others to pray with you. And then when you do, you pray and be devoted to that, you will see God move. You will see him do stuff. You be watchful. And it might not always be the answer that we want, but we'll see him do stuff. And we'll see his purposes and his mission fulfilled. And listen, there is no better place to be than in the will of God. If you're here today and you've, you've kind of been wondering, God, are you even just out there and doing stuff? Devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. I'm going to close uh, a, in a prayer for you. This is a prayer that's in Ephesians 3. And I want to pray this over you because this is probably my, this is my favorite prayer in the whole Bible. Outside of the prayer that Jesus prays in, in uh, the book of John, this Ephesians 3 passage is my favorite prayer. And this is the, this is the prayer that Paul has for the church of Ephesus and that he prays for, for all of us. Um, but I want you to hear the passion and, and the purpose behind this prayer as he prays it for us. And if you would, I, I just want you to just kind of close your eyes. Not kind of. I want you to close your eyes, focus on God, and listen to this prayer as, as, I, as I pray it for you through the scriptures. Ephesians 3.14 says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we seek, all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You can look up. Isn't that an awesome prayer? That God would be made full in us, that we would know the richness of his power for his purpose and for his glory. Let's become a church that prays and prays powerfully devoted um, to each other in prayer. Let's continue to worship.